Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. The exponential growth of the non-dairy milk sales and variety in the U.S. in many ways has been a harbinger for the overall plant-based movement. But as demand for the beverages continues to rise, so too are consumer standards, which could prompt a shakeout in the near future. According to Mintel data compiled through the Plant-Based Foods Association last summer, sales of plant-based milk alternatives were up 9% in the year ending June 16, 2018, reaching a whopping $1.6 billion and taking 13% of total milk sales. At the same time, cow's milk sales were down 6%. Another data analysis group, Report Buyer, predicts that globally the non-dairy milk market is projected to reach revenues of more than $38 billion by 2024, which represents a compound annual growth rate of more than 14% from 2018 to 2024. Now, Report Buyer also notes that for the first time last year, sales of almond milk in North America outpaced soy milk, which is an indicator that consumer preferences are changing. And they're going to continue to change, forcing industry players to change too if they want to maintain the category's current momentum and continue to steal market share from dairy milk, according to Cheryl Mitchell, who was an early pioneer in developing plant-based milk alternatives and is now head of research and development at the non-dairy beverage brand Elmhurst 1925. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Mitchell explores the history of non-dairy milk and how we got to where we are today, including the initial challenges that manufacturers faced when creating the category. She also explains how and why modern consumers' priorities for plant-based milk alternatives are evolving, and how manufacturers such as Elmhurst 1925 are responding with new technology and a broader selection, which in turn is forcing retailers to reconsider their approach to the category. Drawing on her experience helping Imagine Foods develop Rice Dream nearly 20 years ago as one of the first major plant-based milk alternatives on the market, Mitchell explained that early pioneers in the category were hampered by technological limitations that forced them to compromise the nutritional value, flavor, and texture of their initial offerings. But, she added, consumers at the time didn't care about those limits and were just really excited to have a viable alternative to dairy milk that they could enjoy without compromising their own values about animal welfare, personal health, and the environmental impact of what they consumed both soy milk and amazaki, which is a, a whole grain rice milk, um, have been known for thousands of years. Uh, the soy milk in the U.S. market was not one that was a taste that um, appealed to many of the U.S. consumers. However, the uh, rice was hypoallergenic, it was something new, and um, this is where Imagine Foods and Rice Dream and uh, Robert Nissenbaum, uh, who was a restaurateur uh, initially and serving uh, homemade amazaki, decided that he wanted to put it into uh, the general retail market. Now, the problem with that is that 
at least initially, is that um, the Amazaki is not that stable. It would tend to flat sour like any fresh pro produce. And from a marketing point of view, it was essential that he get the shelf life or else he'd never be able to get the distribution and teach people about that there was something other than soy milk out there. Uh, so he opted for the aseptic uh, cartons. And of course, these are the cartons that don't require refrigeration so that he didn't have to fight for uh, refrigerator space. And uh, he could go actually on the shelves and have uh, and uh, really secure his turns uh, there on the um, on the dry shelf market. Well, this was um, a really a stroke of uh, brilliance on uh, Robert's point part. Um, and uh, so here we were realizing that we had to not only process aseptically but fill it aseptically and. Then we ran into to problems with regards to the basic understanding of Amazaki. Um, Amazaki is very rich in, in fiber and proteins, and the way that it uh, is produced, you have quite a bit of these uh, fiber protein aggregates. Well, in the aseptic processing, when it goes up to high temperatures for very short time periods, the equipment used, it would foul that type of equipment. Likewise, it would also foul the filling equipment in the aseptic uh, range because uh, of the way that the product was sealed in the package. So we had two big areas that had to be overcome to get the product into the aseptic package. And in so doing, we ended up reducing significantly the amount of rice that we wanted to use. We couldn't use brown rice uh, because it would foul the system and, and we also, um, and also that it uh, oxidized. Um, so we ended up with a product which became Rice Dream, which was very successful. The, the consumers absolutely loved it and it was the first hypoallergenic uh, beverage that was um, non-dairy and quite a bit different than the soy. But what happened there is that um, I, I, because I was um, developing the product at the time, I realized all the changes to the brown rice and uh, the removal of so much of the important nutrients that um, that's where I took my team uh, and separated from the uh, company that I had started to package aseptically the, the rice stream product and, and said we got to figure out how to maximize the nutrient value in all these grains, nuts, and seeds without um, uh, removing all the, the essential nutrients as we had with the, with the rice stream product. Over the course of about the next 10 years, the plant-based milk category continued to evolve with new bases such as almond that offered new flavors, a better mouthfeel, and lower calories. They also went into refrigerated options. But Michelle says that these still fell short on other nutritional attributes due to the same technological limitations that were there when the category began. Unsatisfied with this, Mitchell worked with a team of experts at Elmhurst 1925 to create the hydro-release technology, 
which allowed the manufacturer to use more of the source nut, seed, or grain and create a more nutrient-dense finished product. In the hydro-release product uh, process, we actually start with the raw materials. So whether it's grains or nuts or seeds, we bring in the viable, viable seeds. In other words, they're, they're seeds that if you did plant them, they'd grow. Um, also, same thing with the, with the nuts. And what we realize that if you, um, it's kind of like the hydro-release process is a mechanical process uh, if you can imagine um, the difference between putting something in a, in, a, uh, in a blender, okay, and grinding it up that way versus taking a power washer. So I think some people have used a power washer at one time or another. It's a high-pressure water that just gently sloughs off the outside of the, the surface. And uh, so many people use that for cleaning or removing paint from uh, the walls in their house because it's very, very effective. But uh, importantly, it's removing just one layer at a time. And when you do that without grinding, it gives us an opportunity to, you know, each of the natural components to liberate uh, without grinding them up. And then once liberated, like the fiber or the protein, um, and very importantly, the oils as well, the oils and the water go together and they form the emulsion and the micronutrients that are naturally there in any grain, nut, or seed. That's why this is a stable emulsion without having to add anything. The, the natural microcomponents, the lecithins and, and uh, phosphatidylcholines, as it were, you know, they help stabilize the interaction of the oil and the water. And uh, meanwhile, the fibers are totally cleaned and they start behaving like fibers, meaning that the fiber is very, very soft. And um, so it, it doesn't interfere with everything. When the, the proteins, when they're liberated from the fiber, they're, they too can ball up and make a very suspendable protein. They're still insoluble, but they're uh, a very soft and floaty type of, of protein so that uh, when it's mixed in with the natural emulsions, they, it stays in suspension, which is why we don't have to add any gums or stabilizers. These were all there in the grain, nut, or seed to begin with. It was just a matter of liberating them and allowing them to reinteract in a way that they would uh, prefer to interact. And if we liberate the starch, then, then the, we will heat the starch and gelatinize it, which you have to gelatinize starch in order to digest it correctly. Uh, and then we use uh, enzymes, natural enzymes, those that are uh, in, the, in the mouth normally, uh, and break down the, the, the starches. So by doing this and taking our hydro release, releasing all the macro and micronutrients, and then we allow them to recombine and heat treat where we need to, and then put it all back together again. The technology not only allowed Elmhurst to capture more of the nutrients in the finished product, but to also create a beverage that was easier to digest. When we do the hydro release process and separate the proteins from the fiber, uh, we 
um, are able to um, the body is much more able to utilize that protein not only faster um, but more efficiently than a grain nut or seed that is used in cooking and where the, the protein fiber interaction occurs and forms this really very um, chewy aggregate. And so that's, that's the first thing that we realize is that the improvement in, in uh, digestibility, um, a, a good example of this that is coming to light and gave us a little bit of a surprise response is when we were doing the peanuts and uh, looking at the, the protein digestibility and the, the peanuts and the protein, we were very stunned actually at how easily digestible the protein was in the, the peanut, which is already a good, a good very good source of uh, protein uh, and a balanced protein at that, um, and also on the, the, the chickpea. Mitchell also explained that hydro-release technology allows Elmhurst to offer a cleaner, finished product than some of its competitors because it no longer needed some of the unwanted additives previously used to stabilize the beverages. This gets back to, you know, the, the 40 years ago when I was dealing with the, the, the Rice Dream product. There, there was, I, I realized when it could be released um, and, and separated that um, it, there was so much more into the, the product. For example, brown rice by itself um, has uh, 4% of it is, is a natural uh, rice bran oil, which the rice bran oil is, is by itself just amazing as, as far as um, the, the nutritional value of it. Um, but we had to use effectively white rice because we didn't know how to stabilize it. But that oil, uh, in combination and as liberated, can, is easily stabilized in the rest of the system if you run through this hydro-release process. So you've got the natural oils uh, forming a, an emulsion. If you look at the ingredient deck on the rice stream, we added safflower oil. And I, I, that's what really bugged me. It's like, oh, why do we even have to add oil when brown rice has the natural oil? Um, if you look at oats, the, the wonderful soluble uh, fibers which um, automatically give you a, a, a wonderful type of uh, thickness in the, in, the, in the milk and of course uh, soluble fibers are very well known for their health benefits. Um, but in most cases they're totally destroyed and they don't need to be destroyed, they just need to be separated <laughs> first. And, and then put back together uh, again without destroying them. So all uh, this is, um, as I said, it, it was a wonderful uh, journey of discovery, uh, knowing what we, you know, what had to be done initially and, um, as I said, isolating and, and I guess the food industry has been that way for a very long time. Um, making and refining ingredients. And then what do we do on, if you look at the label on the ingredients? All we're doing is recombining all those ingredients. And I asked the fundamental question saying, why? Everything is there in the grain, nut, and seed to begin with. And certainly 
if you've done home baking, home cooking, you don't add all those other other stabilizers or anything. It's because of the way that uh, people have been cooking at home in the the, the basic recipes. Uh, you don't need the refined ingredients to do that. Um, and uh, certainly, it's beneficial. You know, we have all kinds of different uh, products that we have out there, but. Um, as I said, this with the grains, nuts, and seeds, this, this just took us to a different level of new type of ingredients that um, basically you don't have to add all the other, all the other refined ingredients. It's, it's already there. The technology also allows Elmhurst to use a wider variety of base ingredients, including walnuts and hemp and chickpeas and peanuts, all of which offer different sensorial properties while still preserving the nutrition, according to Mitchell. As Elmhart's portfolio expands, so too are those of the competitors. And while retailers have, in general, opened more space for plant-based milk alternatives, there's still a limit on how many SKUs will fit on a shelf. Mitchell said that Elmhurst currently is working to convince retailers that there's a notable difference between nutritive non-dairy beverages like the ones it makes and non-nutritive non-dairy beverages, and that in the long run, consumers will want more nutritious options, even if they're more expensive. Um, this presented another problem of trying to get and make the store owners aware that these, um, the diversity of products and nutritive products was uh, a whole new category of um, non-dairy beverages. And uh, we banked on the fact that eventually that's what people will, would want is the more, more bang for their buck, as it were, uh, for the um, nutrients that they're paying for in these, these type of beverages. And I know some people say, oh, but your product is so expensive. But the reality is uh, what you're getting uh, from a nutrient point of view you're getting twice as much the value as you are from uh, the non-nutritive um, almond beverages, for example. Uh, and it's just because of all the almonds that we use, a handful versus a couple. What we will see shrinking is the, the non-nutritive um, um, beverages, it's, but it's, it's like uh, who would have guessed that the, the water industry stayed on and grew so much um, and that's where these these other products are for the most part. They're you know, um, but uh, I think it will shrink to the to uh, just certain certain products that um, are are serving a, a, a purpose. And uh, I think the the nutritive ones will be the ones that will go forward in the future. Everybody likes to try something new, and so you'll see the new brands coming off and the the variations on the theme. But they, they last for a while, and they're, they're, they're fun to, to try and to eat, and some of them will stay on and make it. Um, but I, it certainly gives the consumer a, um, uh, you know, a, a new alternative every once in a while. Um, I, I think that's part of the, the benefit of um, uh, certainly the, the foods in, in America that it, our offering is uh, again, the more diversity and always having a, a diverse a choice of, of the different products. And, and we'll have 
new ones come in, old ones go out, um, but this is where the, the brand um, and the brands that you trust that you kind of look for and then get excited about new, new waves in those trends um, and new products uh, and new flavors from time to time in those, those trends. Um, this is this is what our makes our supermarkets so um, so unique. Even as Elmhurst and others fight for limited shelf space, Mitchell says the company continues to innovate new products and refine its beverages. For example, Mitchell says that the company is exploring different plant blends to make beverages with a more complete protein. We're also looking at blends in the future because. Um, with the grains, nuts, and seeds, not all proteins are complete proteins. Some of them are very close. The, the chickpea is very close, the peanut. Um, but if you blend them, say, with a little bit of uh, rice or something that, um, uh, in fact, that's what the soy milks always did too, is they, the, the best soy milks were a combination of the soy protein and the, the rice milk. So. We're looking at these combinations to uh, deliver complete proteins when people, that's what they are needing if this is their primary source of protein. The company also is exploring ways to use its other byproducts to make plant-based meat alternatives, such as what Mitchell says is an outstanding chicken meat analog from the extra hemp protein extracted while making the brand's hemp milk. Although she was quick to know that this is far in the future, as the brand can only do so much at one time. And speaking of time, we're all out of it for this episode, but I hope you'll join me again for another installment next week. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.